Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. This is A Different Perspective with Kevin Randall. A retired U.S. Lieutenant Colonel, Kevin Randall has been studying UFOs for nearly 50 years. Kevin has investigated some of the most famous UFO cases in the world and has been consulted for dozens of documentaries about UFOs. Considered one of the leading experts into the Roswell UFO crash of 1947, Kevin has written more than 25 books about UFOs, including the recently published Roswell in the 21st century. Now, here is the host of A Different Perspective, Kevin Randall. I am, in fact, Kevin Randall, and this is A Different Perspective. We are broadcasting high atop the Baker Hotel in beautiful downtown Midland. I don't know why I said that. I just made that up for some reason. I just thought it would give a, I guess, a, a sense of of travel to, uh, to the show. I don't know. Anyway, I am joined today by David Boer, who has written a book uh, called No Return, A UFO Abduction or Covert Operation. And he sent me a very short biography, which tells me he has been fascinated by the unexplained for much of his life. He lives in southern Wisconsin, or as we sometimes say, Wisconsin. Anyway, uh, David, welcome to the program. Oh, thanks, Kevin. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Uh, as I say, your bio you sent was a tad bit thin. Um, can you give me a little bit more information about who you are, your background, uh, schooling, military service, uh, things like that? Sure. Uh, I don't really have uh, anything that prepared me to be a writer in my life, I, uh, other than just living. Um, I've done a lot of different things. Uh, I did orthopedic massage for about 16 or 17 years. Um, I've done carpentry and landscaping and uh, just lots of different things, uh, wildland restoration. Um, and but I've I've always had an interest in things of this nature. And uh, this this nature being UFOs and the like. Yeah, mm-hmm. UFOs, paranormal stuff, uh, the unexplained, as we call it. Do you have any military service at all? No, I don't. And actually, that's one reason I, I look forward to having this conversation with you, because I think uh, you could illuminate certain aspects of the story that uh, only someone with a lot of military experience probably could. Well, that, that was why I asked specifically about military experience, because as I read your book, I saw some analysis that didn't strike me as completely authentic based on my reading of other military records and my own experience like that. And I thought we could touch on that 
when we get into the conversation about the book, which we will do uh, very shortly. Uh, college at all? I've had a little college, but, but uh, it's uh, I've taken a different track in life. Let's, take, let's put it that way. <laughs> well, I mean, college isn't important. I, I think that um, you know, college teaches you some things that, that are, are, are valuable to research, which is how to look stuff up in libraries and and uh, and formulate things of that nature. But it, it's really not that necessary to uh, many occupations. And I think practical experience sometimes much more important than sitting in a classroom. And the classroom sometimes sets things up that are completely different. I guess the best example, and I'm just going off on a tangent here for some reason. When I went to flight school with the U.S. Army, we were being trained by pilots who'd come back from Vietnam before our going over to Vietnam. And we were taught certain things and certain ways to do that because that's the way things were done in the Army in Vietnam. When I got there, I learned that things that we would learn that they were supposedly doing, they weren't doing. So it's just, you, you kind of evolved in your, uh, I guess, education of, of the flying experience in Vietnam that wasn't quite as accurate as you've been led to believe it, it, it might be in flight school. So I thought, you know, that's kind of an important thing. But you know, looking at uh, a case and going out and investigating it firsthand, talking to the main main uh, participant, the main witness is an important thing to done, which you to do, which is a, what you've done with your book. I'm kind of rambling on here because we're getting close to the break and I wanted to, um, uh, you know, save all the real questions about the book until we got past our first break here. The book uh, is called No Return. It's a UFO abduction or COVID operation and it deals with a case that took place back in 1959 and a guy named, uh, who was called Jerry Irwin. We'll get into the details here in a moment. As I often say when we're doing this program, um, I always put up more information about it or try to at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. So uh, people who have an interest in this specific case or other information can find out where to go to get it. And I always want to mention Roswell in the 21st century, which I think of as a dispassionate look at the Roswell case um, as, it, as it is seen today. We will be back right after these words with David Boer and his talk about his book, No Return, uh, after these messages. So stick around. Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7, 365. I am joined by David Boer, who's written the book, as I keep mentioning, No Return, 
Um, an interesting book uh, that came from anomalous books, for those of you who are interested in that sort of thing. Uh, I think the first thing we need to do, David, is find out exactly what the book is about. What is the, the core of this book? What's the story behind it? Okay, this is a excuse me. This is a case that dates back to 1959. <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, it, basically, it's a story of a young soldier who was returning home, or sorry, returning back to his base after a 30-day leave, uh, and he was driving through Utah when he saw a glowing object descending across the highway. And it was strange enough that he stopped the car and got out to watch as it came down. It was a, a pretty quiet highway. He was the only one there at that time. Then he, he saw what he saw it go below a ridge and it seemed to um, crash because he saw the light flare up and then die down, although he didn't hear any sound at all, but he thought it was pretty close by. So not knowing what it was, uh, he decided to um, prepare for the worst and assume it was potentially a plane crash. So he wrote a note to leave on his vehicle, uh, asking any passerby to notify the uh, the police of a possible plane crash and then then he prepared to go off and investigate um, at the last minute he decided that uh, he needed to actually get people to stop and look for the note so he wrote stop on the side of his car with shoe polish and put his blinkers on and even though it's irrelevant, was it black shoe polish? Because I always had a vision of it being white shoe polish when I read this case uh, the first time. Uh, but thinking military is probably black shoe polish? Or do we even know? We don't know. He didn't remember that detail, but... Um, so but he's, anyway. written a, he's written a note on the side of the car to stop. He's left a note under the windshield wiper? or Oh, yeah. He, he left a note uh, on his steering wheel. On the steering wheel. And then he takes off over the landscape to find this, what he believes to be a plane crash. Yeah, apparently this is late winter now, and it's it's at night. He's He's got to trudge through apparently a foot of snow to get up this up to the ridgetop. And he hasn't gotten very far, though, when everything goes. The we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pound. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. With no fees or minimums and no overdraft fees, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Charles Barkley in a pickup game. We'll take Barkley. Ha! First pick. Sorry, kids. <laughs> yep, even easier than that. With no fees or minimums and no overdraft fees, is it even a decision? Okay, here's the plan. Pass me the ball every time. This is banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. Goes black. And the next thing he knows, he's waking up in a hospital in Cedar City, Utah, with no memory of what happened in between. Uh, the sheriff is there. The sheriff has stopped by. Uh, they found his car. Um, they, I mean, he's he's obviously been found somewhere and taken to the hospital. Do we know how that happened? Yes, uh, he gets the he gets the full story from the sheriff. Uh, he was uh, somebody did stop. It was the fish and game. Uh, radioed into the sheriff in Cedar City, and he organized a search party. And when they found, it was probably an hour later that Jerry was found. The name of this man is Jerry Irwin. Jerry was found uh, at the top of the ridge, uh, about a quarter mile, some accounts say a mile from his vehicle. 
Uh, he'd, with, been, he'd only been out there about an hour or so, you say? Is that did I get that right? That was the best estimate. Okay. That he yeah. Um, and so so this fish and game agent stops at the car, finds the note, calls the sheriff's department, and the sheriff organizes a search. They go out and find him within an hour and transport him to the hospital. Yeah. It's by the time it was all said and done though, um, it was about midnight that he arrived at the hospital. So uh, there was, uh, it must have taken some time to get him down off the hilltop and get him into the ambulance and take care of him. Okay, uh, so we get, it, we get him to the hospital. He um, is unconscious. He's there for what, a day, a day, a day or two before he regains consciousness or comes to? Well, this is interesting. He actually, it was 24 hours before he gained consciousness or regained consciousness. And that's one of the big question marks is why was he out for so long? He, he, they could find no sign of injury. Okay. So he's, he's in the hospital. They, they obviously contact the military authorities at Fort Bliss. That's where he was heading Fort Bliss in El Paso, Texas. And um, alert them that they found one of their soldiers injured in the in the snow and brought him to Cedar City. What happens from that point? Yeah, after they kept him for a few days in Cedar City for observation, he was flown back to his base at Fort Bliss, Texas. And there they they kept him in uh, the psychiatric ward at uh, William Beaumont Hospital for another three or four days to keep keep a watch on him, uh, test him to make sure there's nothing physically wrong with him. And after that, they gave him a clean bill of health and released him back to duty. Wasn't, wasn't he concerned about the plane crash, though? Didn't he ask the sheriff there in Cedar City and other people what had happened? Were there any survivors? Were there oh, yes. any casualties? Yeah, when he, as soon as he regained consciousness, that, his first words were, were there any survivors? Obviously, that was foremost in his mind. And, and the that, sheriff uh, was eager to talk to him for that reason, to get any further details he could offer, uh, because they had uh, searched for a, a crash when they were looking for him, and they also uh, did an aerial search the following day, and there was no sign of any plane crash. Okay, so there's no plane crash. He's been unconscious for 24 hours. He gets back to his base at El Paso. They keep him in the hospital. He's got a clean bill of health. They send him out. How do we get to the UFO aspect? Um, well, it really, it actually was an unidentified object. He, he didn't know what it was. It was actually uh, quite strange looking, but having no, uh, no way to identify it, he just basically had to prepare for what he did know about, which was planes. Uh, he didn't think it was a meteor. Uh, uh, and obviously, if it could be a plane crash, he decided that he better see what he could do about it. But he was never sure it was a plane crash. He just didn't know what it was. And the description he ended up actually giving to the sheriff, we have a pretty good idea of that because of a document, uh, a letter that uh, the sheriff later sent to a, a UFO researcher a few weeks later. Did the, did the sheriff contact the Lorenzans or, and the Lorenzans would be the UFO researchers, I assume. Well, they were the, the ones that investigated Jerry's case. Uh, the, the founders of APRO, uh, Jim and Coral Lorenzen. Um, However, uh, I don't know if they were ever in contact with the sheriff. I think they were. They don't actually quote him. Uh, but the letter that uh, I located uh, was a letter from Sheriff Otto Fife to C.H. Mark, who I had not heard of before. But uh, in that letter, he gives... Well, uh, Jerry's testimony uh, of what his experience was, and then also some details about the actual 
uh, did rescue he, effort. Did he investigate the case at all? Um, he, I think his investigation was solely focused on a possible crash. And when he was satisfied there was no crash, I don't think he pursued it any further. But okay. in his in the description that he offered or that he remembered from uh, what Jerry told him was that it was a large, brilliant object that he could not determine the shape of it because of the the bright rays shooting out from it. Okay, so we've got him. We've got him back at base. He's a, a I think, private first class, which is a fairly low-ranking enlisted man. Um, probably hasn't been in the service much more than a year or so. Um, he's assigned to a company. He goes. He's released from the hospital. Goes back to the company. Any uh, fallout from him apparently returning from leave late because he clearly wouldn't have got back on time if he was in the hospital for a couple of days. Uh, anything, any fallout from that or uh, retribution well, for that? At the, at the time, no. There, for, for that incident, um, there, was, there were no uh, disciplinary actions taken. Um, and I just want to offer a, a slight correction. Although he's often referred to as um, PFC Irwin, uh, at the time of this incident, he was uh, SP4. He was a Nike missile technician. He was a Spec 4, which is still a very low-ranking enlisted man. It's one grade up from a PFC. Right. He was an E4, in essence, which is an enlisted yeah. grade. So he's back at the company. How did the Lorenzans get involved in this thing? Do you have a clue? Uh, I think that they saw the media reports, and their uh, they're, uh, headquarters which was their home in uh, Alamogordo, New Mexico, um, was only, I think, about 80 miles from El Paso, where, where uh, Jerry was stationed. I so, would have said 90 miles, but that's okay. Um, so there were there were reports in the newspaper about, the, about his events, uh, events, adventure? adventure? Uh, yes, there was a wave of reports that was carried on AP, and uh, there were a number of independent reports as well. Uh, over about four days, there were a number of stories that were being published. So clearly the Lorenzans heard, of, well, clearly the Lorenzans did hear about it. So they went to El Paso to meet with, uh, with Jerry at, his, uh, at, at the um, um, Fort Bliss. Yeah, Could, the, the, the incident occurred on February 20th, and... And uh, there was already an article in the April Bulletin for the March edition. So she, they were on it fairly rapidly. And they interview, they go to El Paso, they, uh, yes, El Paso, and they actually interview him in person, correct? I think the first interview was by phone, and they later met him in person. So they've gone to El Paso to uh, talk to him about what he'd seen and what his experiences are. So we've got we've got a and I'm going to have to wrap up here because we're getting close to the break here. But we've got a um, an object seen in the sky. He thinks it's some kind of a plane crash. He attempts to go out to find it. He passes out. Uh, he is um, he's found, taken to the hospital. He eventually gets to Fort Bliss. Uh, no uh, problems from from his company commander or anything like that because he's legitimately been ill and in the hospital. The uh, UFO report gets out over the air. The Lorenzans go to uh, El Paso to chat with him. We'll get back to uh, that here in, in just a moment uh, when we come back. Uh, as I say, take a look at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com and take a look at xzbn.net for some of the other fine programs on the X-Zone Broadcast Network. We will be back right after this, so stick around. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. 
For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. I am back with my guest, David Buhar, Booer, I'm sorry, Booer, and we're talking about the Jerry Irwin UFO sighting and possible abduction case, and I think we need to speed things up a tad bit. <laughs> we're going to run out of time. So um, the Lorenzans are down there in, in El Paso at Fort Bliss. They're chatting with him about the possible of the UFO sighting, um, and I guess this doesn't follow a normal a normal path. Doesn't, doesn't he... Uh, Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting and rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word GRADE to 323232 right now. Hooked on Phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun, and everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day. For more than 30 years, Hooked on Phonics has been the proven learn-to-read program that kids love to use. Text GRADE to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text GRADE to 323232 right now and get started for just $1. Text GRADE to 323232 now. Text GRADE to 323232. At some point, feel a compulsion to go back to Utah? Yes. Uh, well, here's how it goes. I'll, I'll try to keep it brief. Um, he started having uh, trouble not long after he was returned to duty. He, uh, I think a few days later, he fainted or he collapsed uh, on the base. But he was not out very long, and he seemed to recover without any intervention. Uh, then, uh, three weeks after the original incident, he collapsed on a street in downtown El Paso, and he was taken by police or an ambulance to the civilian hospital, and he was still unconscious uh, until the early hours of the morning. And when he awoke, he thought it was, he was right back on February 20th. He, he had forgotten everything in between. And his first words once again were, were there any survivors? And shortly after that, uh, they transferred him back to the army hospital. And this time uh, they kept him on that ward for 30 days or 32 when you, days. When you say that ward, what, what do you mean that ward? The psychiatric ward in the army hospital, the same one he was originally checked into. Okay. And during that time, was he questioned by anybody um, at all about what had happened to him? Well, there is on record, there is in his medical records, uh, there was one sodium amytal interview, which is basically uh, drug-induced hypnotic trance. They call it truth serum, uh, uh, under which they questioned him to see if they could penetrate his amnesia. Um, at the time, when he woke up from the, the session, uh, he didn't remember anything that had transpired, and they wouldn't share anything with him. So th there's nothing in his record, there's nothing in the medical records or the records that you saw that told him what he might have said under, under the influence of the drug? Well, actually, that's, there is uh, an account of what he said in the records that even Jerry had not seen until these records were released uh, according to his uh, authorization uh, after I contacted him. So he had never, he never didn't know until that point. What, what, did, what, did the, what did the record say? What did the record say? It said that, uh, well, Jerry said that it all started when he was about three, at the age of three, he said. Um, and he said that 
uh, he he's was not supposed to talk about it, or he was not supposed to remember. He said both of those things. It started. Uh, you say it started. What started? Well, he didn't. He didn't specify what started. Um, it it was re- in response to the doctor's questioning about what happened on that night that he couldn't remember uh, when he saw the UFO. So, and he, uh, Jerry further uh, went on to say that if he said anything about it, there would be a big investigation that would have uh, uh, negative consequences. I don't have it right in front of me, but basically that people would get hurt if he was to talk about it. So do we have a clue as to what he want, what, what he, what he meant when he can't talk about it? I mean, you know, we are using a lot of uh, pronouns here and it's not helping, helping us understand what exactly he was talking about. Well, that's, we don't really have clarity in that regard. We just, but, but what I do in, is to uh, compare his statements uh, to what other abduct well what what people who claim to be abductees have said um well let's let's, let me let me let me ask you a question is he suggesting he was an abductee no okay um actually uh it's important to note that this occurred in 1959. now the first stories of alien abduction as we call it were not even circulating in the media until stream media. Nobody heard of this until the mid-60s. Now, there was one story that was published in English in Brazil in 1961 or 62, but that did not get any attention in, in the United States. The only people who knew of this phenomenon were UFO researchers. I was going to say the, Lorenz, the Lorenzans knew about uh, the V.S. Boas abduction in uh, Brazil in 1957. I think Octavio exactly. really... Fontes had told them about it, and they didn't do much with it because it was really, really strange, meaning he was taking on board a flying saucer. Right. Now, that's an important detail because they learned about that about a year before Jerry's case, and that was surely influencing how they saw Jerry's case. Um, they didn't. They themselves didn't publish anything about the Villas uh, Boas case until uh, the late '60s. They waited. They, well, they they waited until after the Hill abduction, and uh, then brought it forward because uh, they thought it was was very very strange. But 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 I mean the point is. Uh, Jerry has not talked about being abducted. He's uh, has no memory of an abduction or anything like this. Um, I, I think it's important that we uh, point out that he now believed he it, after the Amatol, uh, sodium ammonium session, he felt a compulsion to go back to Cedar City, City and take another look around. He had left his his jacket out there somewhere. I think is what the what the deal was. And he went bed and left some kind of a note in his jacket, and he went out to retrieve that. Is that correct? Well, here's the, yeah, this is an important detail about uh, what happened when he was in the hospital in Cedar City, Utah, and still unconscious. He had been uttering the words, jacket on bush. And when he came to and was asked about that, he didn't know why he was saying that. But he did say that it uh, it, it did remind him about his jacket, and and he asked about it. He said, where is my jacket? It was a new jacket that he had underneath his uh, army overcoat. And they said they never, they nobody saw any sign of a jacket. And so that was a mystery. What happened to his jacket? Uh, and then later on, when he was released from his 32-day stay in the psych ward, uh, mysteriously the next day, he went into a trance and went AWOL, boarding a Greyhound bus back to Utah, an overnight bus. The next day, he gets off in Cedar City, and he walks out about six miles away from town and finds his jacket. 
and there's a stuck through the buttonhole of the jacket and a note wrapped around it and he takes the pencil out unrolls the note and burns it without reading it and when the at that moment when he smells the smoke he snaps out of his trance so he he didn't doesn't even know what was on the note but then he and uh realizes he needs to get back to town and turn himself in because he's AWOL. How long had he been gone at that point from, from his that, duty? At that point, he had been gone about a day and a half. Not okay, so quite. He, he, he wouldn't get into a whole lot of trouble for doing that then. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, and apparently... It was not, a, yeah, he was fined, and I think he was busted one rank as a result of that. So he's back to PFC. Yeah. Okay. Um, so but we, we still have uh, an event that took place. He's kind of um, out of it. He's not sure what he'd seen. Um, he doesn't believe that there was an abduction uh, or he was abducted by alien creatures, what uh, what does he think happened to him? Well, that's a, that's a good question. He, he has no idea. He, as far as he's concerned, he saw the strange object, he went to look for it, he passed out, he woke up in the hospital, and that's all he knows. And... Uh, but but what's so interesting, and 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 then that's as far as he's concerned, that's the end of the story, and and as far as he's concerned, it's not even very interesting. Uh, but then there's it's important to bear in mind that he does not even know much of what happened in the following year. There's a big, it, so much of his memory seems to have fallen into a black hole. But it, it sounds like it's a psychological problem as opposed to something else. I mean, uh, people have those sorts of uh, phases that they go through. Some people do, I should say, where they're just completely lost and they lose part of part of a year or a year or something like that. Uh, it sounds like it's more psychological than anything else. Well, that's, of course, a possibility. And there are many possibilities that are... Uh, uh, Expo explored in the book, lots of questions, and uh, the uh, the short answer to that is that he had no disciplinary problems or medical issues that anybody had noted up until the night when he saw this object, and then for about a year or a year, depending on how you divide it up, about a year he had lots of trouble. Uh, it just, his career went into a tailspin. And there's no real explanation for that. Um, when people have a big psychological um, crisis, it's usually because of, there's usually a precipitating event, like a trauma of some kind. So, which raises the question of, well, what kind of trauma did he experience if that's what happened? All he did was start walking towards something he thought was a possible plane crash, and then next thing he knows, he's in the hospital. What happened in between? So he uh, disappears from from the base. He's he's AWOL for a day and a half, and but he doesn't go right back to the base. What where does he go? Well, he he turns himself into the sheriff in Cedar City, and at that point. The sheriff notified his his commanding officer, and um, it was a few days before the MPs picked him up. Okay, well let's let's break there because I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to take a quick break here anyway. Right. Uh, the book the book is called No Return: a UFO Abduction or Covert Operation. Um, quickly, you have a Facebook page about this. Give give, give me the Facebook page quickly. Yeah, it's. No return at Forgotten Encounter. Okay. And that's on Facebook. 
Um, I'll try to get a link to it in my uh, blog at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com so that those of you who are interested in following up on this, you'll have an opportunity to do so. We will be back right after this with a little bit more information about Jerry Irwin and his events, so stick around. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. I am joined by David Boer. We're talking about Jerry Irwin, who had a bizarre experience back in 1959. Um, that may have been UFO related, may have been some kind of a government covert operation, meaning experiments with uh, psychotropic drugs, I guess, something like that. Um, his military career at that point suffered from it, according to his records um, and that sort of thing. But I think one of the questions that, that might be of interest to, to the audience is, did he ever take a polygraph test about this? Well, to the best of my knowledge, uh, he did not. Uh, there's no indication in his records, his military records, that that happened. And no civilian has ever administered a test. Uh, well, I think, I think it's also important to point out here that the Lorenzans were investigating it in 1959, and they were in contact with Jerry, um, had set up him to meet with a civilian psychologist or psychiatrist, and he did not make the meeting. Then he sort of dropped out of... I guess the the uh, dropped off the radar of, of the UFO people, so that he was uh, nobody was really talking about this case. Lorenzen's uh, wrote about it in the April Bulletin. I think that uh, they had a, they did a book UFO occupants. I think at the in the end of the 1960s, 1970s, somewhere in there, where they talked about the case a little bit, but they had no resolution for it. My question is, how did you discover this case, and how did you get excited about? I mean, not excited, but how did you? get started investigating it well it uh i was rereading one of jacques valet's books uh dimensions and i uh i had i had read the book uh, a couple of times in the past uh and i came upon and he has a summary of the story of jerry Irwin in one of his chapters and uh this time around, for some reason, and this is something I can't explain, uh, I was just seized by uh, a powerful curiosity. I, I just, when I read the end of the, the uh, summary, which is basically that Jerry disappeared and was never seen again, uh, I just got to thinking, well, what happened to him? People don't just disappear. He had to go somewhere. And I wondered if he was okay. Uh, I wondered if he was still alive and if he was still okay at this point. And so I started uh, doing research. I wasn't thinking about a book at first. I just wondered, well, hasn't anybody else looked into this? And uh, as far as I could tell, nobody had. And 
and uh, out uh, FOIA requests, and that didn't really go anywhere. And then uh, I f dug up the original newspaper articles, and then I decided to try to see if I could find any living relatives of Jerry's. And in the process, I I found Jerry's contact information, uh, which surprised me. But I was able to get a hold of him directly. What was his reaction to being contacted by somebody doing UFO research? What uh, uh, fifty years later? <laughs> you know, it's interesting. He he was he was he was definitely surprised, but it was almost as if. It was almost as if, well, it, it, he was just waiting for this because uh, as soon as I brought it up and asked him if he was willing to talk about it, uh, he gave me the, the whole rundown of what he could remember, uh, which is not, it's basically just the initial incident. That's about all he can remember, but uh, he was quite forthcoming about it. Is he retired military? Well, he he was discharged in 1966 with an honorable discharge. Okay, so he he was in the service for seven or eight years then. Well, he okay he he enlisted in the Air Force in 1953, and he did a I believe that was a four year uh, enlistment. Okay. And then, uh, or maybe is yeah. We had. Well, the point is, there, there, uh, he he yeah. he did other things. He he did some military service, and then he went off and did something else. Yes, he had, he was in, he was uh, out of the service for about two years, and then he re-enlisted this time in the army, and then he. Uh, I think about a year or so into his army enlistment, this, that's when he had the incident. And uh, after it was all said and done, the events that followed that incident, there was a, about a year and a half before that was kind of all cleared up and he resumed his regular army career, and which was 19... 60. So he, he had a he had a, a, a stint in the military. He did okay after this this bizarre incident took place. Um, you had an opportunity to talk to him on several occasions, I assume. You've got his military records and his medical records. Uh, anything yes. in there that gives a hint about what this might have been? Um, well, the hints don't come really from Jerry very much because of, he remembers so very little. Um, the hint, we have to get the hints from medical records, uh, from what the Lorenzans recorded about him, and more clues came from a file that they kept on him, uh, which contained uh, letters to an attorney. That There was... Uh, there was actually correspondence between uh, Coral Lorenzen and Carl Jung. Carl Jung was consulted on the case. Uh, there was um, the original handwritten notes they kept. So a lot of tantalizing clues kind of arise from these other sources. What, what, what you're telling me here, what I understand you to say, is there's a lot of documentation available, and you've been able to uncover that documentation whether it's the, the notes kept by the Lorenzans, the military record about this, the uh, correspondence between Coral and a number of other people about the case. But Jerry drops off the radar in 1959 and doesn't really resurface until you find him 50 years later. That's about, yeah, that's about it. No and all of this, to him. All yeah, of this is laid out, all of this is laid out in the book. Yeah, mm-hmm, I'm, Pretty much explain the process I went through and how one one clue or piece of evidence led to another, and uh, it's pretty interesting how it all unfolded. I, I never could have guessed 
when I got started on this, what it was going to lead to. What do you think happened to him? I think he did encounter something that was truly unexplained. Now, I th although I, I still believe it's possible that he encountered something that was a, a, perhaps a top-secret uh, uh, aircraft that was in development. I think that's a possibility. My hunch is that he saw something that was truly unexplained. Uh, but, what, but when we get down to the bottom line, the only person that really saw anything was Jerry Irwin. There were no, I mean, we know what his experiences were afterwards, but uh, we don't know what all was going on with him at that time. Yeah, exactly. Now, the case that I make in the book, I think it's pretty clear this, this that Jerry was a, according to all his service records, he was, at first he was a reliable airman, and he received medals of good conduct and whatnot while he was uh, in, in, serving that, in that capacity. And then later on, he, when he joined the Army, uh, you know, he became a Nike missile technician. He, there, were, there were no disciplinary problems of any kind. He was getting very high marks for his service. Uh, and then suddenly this thing happens, and, it, and, he, and he goes into a tailspin. When, he, when it's all said and done, and he re-enters his regular service, he rises up to the rank of uh, sergeant, and he gets a, a, apparently some kind of undercover assignment in Austria. And well, I, I, hate to break, I hate to break in here, but we're out of time. I'm going to have to, okay. we're going to have to wrap it up there. If you want more information about what happened to Jerry and where he, where he went afterwards, uh, the book is No Return, UFO Abduction and Covert Operations, available at Amazon, I assume, through Anomalous Books. And yes. you have, and the Facebook page, once again, for those who would be interested in, in looking at that. No Return at Forgotten Encounter. Okay. Okay. Uh, Thanks for your time. I appreciate you uh, chatting with us here. Oh, uh, thanks so much. This. For, thanks so much, so much for having me on. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> glad to do it because um, we have to get the information out there somehow. I suppose. Um, for those of you interested, next week I will have Francis Ridge on. He is running the NICAP website now, which is quite extensive and uh, a wonderful resource resource for those who are interested in it uh more information about this and with any luck at all i'll get the um uh, facebook link up as well uh for no return at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com and uh, after uh, fran ridge next week the week after that we'll have ben moss we'll be talking about the socorro case which uh, is just my excuse for promoting the book Encounter in the Desert, which is my take on the Lonnie Zamora case that uh, took place in 1964 and what Lonnie Zamora saw and what I was able to learn some interesting new facts about that case uh, in my investigation of it after um, Ben Moss kind of inspired my interest in it when I had him on the program last year. Uh, take a look at uh, the other fine programs at the X Zone Broadcast Network, and we will be back in 167 hours.